Good morning. Praise God. Hallelujah. Somebody say thank you, Jesus. Good morning. Thank you, Jesus. Amen to that. I just want to welcome everybody once again to another wonderful Sunday service here at New Life. My name is Eric Cabrera, and this is my wonderful wife, Diane Cabrera. Uh, big shout out to everybody watching on the patio and online watching. Hello, welcome everybody. Good morning. If you're new here to New Life and it's your, it's your first day here, I just want to welcome you guys. You're at the right place at the right time. And thank you for whoever invited you. Yes. Um, I encourage you if right after the service to stop by Connection Central. We have two booths, one on each side of the lobby. And then we have another booth out on the patio. Uh, we'd love to get to know you better. And we even have a gift for you. Yeah. And um, for everyone here right now, we have a great bulletin, lots of activities in this, lots of fun things happening. Um, this afternoon after the 11 o'clock service, so you guys can run out, get something to eat, come back. If you haven't taken the crash course, it is this afternoon in the Community Center Cafe, just down the way. Um, on your bulletin, there's a little blurb about it, but it's a great way to um, learn more about the church. Um, figure out if you want to become a member and um, just it's for anyone if you are new to the faith or if you've been walking with Jesus for a while. Amen to okay. that. And you know, I'm starting to get hungry now. Who doesn't get hungry right after a good service, right? So today we're planning to take a little short trip to Solvang and have lunch, me and Diana and, uh, and my son. So as you get ready, if you're able to stand up to prepare our hearts for uh, praise and worship, Turn and greet to your, your neighbor, particularly somebody who you may not have ever met before, and let them know what type of, what is your favorite go-to meal after Sunday service.
All I know 
So church, we have the opportunity to sing about his love today. We have an opportunity to sing and declare that together as one body united. But as we continue on in this set, I just wanted to, to share this verse from 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says that he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And let's just focus on that for a second. If you need to close your eyes, if you need to open your hands with a posture of receiving to believe that so that you would just believe and receive that he took on your sin, that you could become the righteousness of God. I just wanna just spend a moment in that. Christ, we just thank you. You lived a perfect and blameless life we didn't, we haven't, not one of us throughout the course of human history other than you have lived a sinless life, but you took on our sin, you wore it, you became the very thing that caused your death, Lord. Even though you knew no sin, that we might become inheritors of your kingdom, that we might become your ambassadors, that we might become your sons and your daughters, that we might become the new creation, Lord. So churches, we just sing of his love today. We sing of a love that looks us in the eye and says, I see you and I see your sin, but you are worthy of love. You are worthy of my care. You are worthy of my compassion. You are worthy of my kingdom. God, we just thank you for that love this morning. We press into that love this morning and we just, we, we wanna go deeper, Lord. So churches, we just dive deeper into the meaning of his love. Would this song just speak more to the character of his heart? Would this song speak more to the character of who he is and how he sees us and how he knows us and how he loves us? God, we thank you for seeing us and for loving us this morning. You are worthy of our praise and our adoration. Amen. Yeah. 
love you. Thank you for loving us so well, God, when um, we are messy and when we are hurting, God, when we are grieving, God, thank you for being there. Thank you for being for us and God and with us. And we just lift up this service, God. We just praise you. God, I just ask a blessing on those that are watching at home this morning, God, that they would know that you are right there with them, God, and you are for them and you see them. And God, we would you just fill this place with your spirit, God. Oh, we are so thankful for you, God, and your precious name. Amen. And you may have a seat. And um, um, I would love to invite the ushers forward to receive the offering. And um, my name is Joanna, and I get the privilege today just to brag on God and just share just some amazing stories with you. And we're in, I think, the third week of our sermon series, Just Beautiful Disruption. And I just love that title. And what it is, basically, is that we get to just kind of disrupt people's life in the name of Jesus and just share how loved they are. And this past week, we were able to do some of our projects. And we were able to love on the staff at Aurora Granny High School. And a group went and served breakfast. And because of so many of you being amazing bakers, they received homemade um, coffee cake muffins and breakfast burritos, and we got to love on them. But at the end, there was like a stack of gift cards. And again, thank you for your generosity. They were able to come through and choose a gift card. And it was really funny because they were blown away by that. And they stood there, like the line got really long because they could not choose their gift card. And some of them would say, well, I'm trying to think what my wife would like. And Carrie's like, this is for you. You get to choose your gift card. And it was just so much joy. And we got to share that our New Life family did this. So thank you. It was such a great morning. 
And another thing that we did is we got to love on some of our San Luis ambulance paramedics and EMTs, and we got to fill boxes of snacks, and we had cards and cards from kids that just said, thank you, thank you for driving the ambulance, thank you for helping me, and it was such a joy to drop those off. And one of my favorite things during this time is that we get to gather together to do these projects, and we're pretty big, and we have different services, so Y'all don't know each other, but when you come in the kitchen and get to pack boxes and get to serve alongside, that is so beautiful. And I just feel like it's such a great illustration of the hands and feet of Jesus. And so we have some opportunities this week as well. We're um, packing boxes again on Wednesday for law enforcement. We also have a work day that is going to be here on campus next Saturday at 8.30 in the morning. And one last story that I want to share is Pastor Nick led a prayer walk, a community prayer walk yesterday, and he's doing one of those every week during this sermon series, and they met in the village, and it was a good group, and they went around, but I had told him, if you have any stories, would you share with me? So I received this text in all capital letters, I have stories. And he shared a few, but one was two women were getting ready to leave and walking across that bridge and felt very, very led by the Holy Spirit to go back in to the little farmer's market where there was an artist there. And they went up to her and they asked if they could pray, pray with her. And she said, oh, yes, and had just shared she was just diagnosed with breast cancer and they were able to pray with her. They were able to exchange phone numbers and a way just to love on her. Like, I know, I always say this wrong, but as Pastor David says, come on. Like, that's amazing stuff right there. And I'm so sorry. I do that so badly. But that's just, it is such a great opportunity. And if you would like to be part of his next um, walk, I believe it's this next Wednesday, come to the um, connection counter, go online. We would love to give you information about all of these. And I was thinking beautiful disruption. Sometimes we need our own beautiful disruption and just be reminded that we are seen, loved, and known by God. And there's a way every weekend, we have these encouragement walls here inside the lobby. We have one out on the patio. And our card team spends the week praying and seeking God's heart on how to write these cards and who they are for. And I invite you, if you have not gone by and taken one, I promise there is one for you. So I walked by this morning, and I was like, okay, God, and I see this one serves in a ministry. Well, that's me. So I decided I would take this card out and read it. And it is full of so much encouragement. And God's heart. And it says, you are such a blessing to this church family. I think it might be easy to write off the importance of your role. But God uses all of us in different ways. But each part of the body has its role to make everything function as it should. Let this card be your reminder. How good is that? And um, it gave a verse. And um, I just wanted to just share this verse with you as you prepare your heart for what God has for you. And it's 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Hey, so last week we had uh, Pastor Jared preach. And uh, Nick, don't go anywhere. Because last week he preached on announcements. And uh, yeah, I'm serious, I'm serious. So, uh, so 
he preached on announcements last week, and uh, which is awesome. We always want to be able to announce the gospel. But last week there was an announcement. I wasn't here to do this, uh, but I wanted to. <laughs> I wanted to make an announcement. And uh, Nick, do you have anything that you want to share with us? I don't know. No. <laughs> Nick and Molly got engaged last week. <laughs> So we are, we are family. I don't think Molly's in first service with us today. So, uh, but uh, if you see Nick on the patio and you, you get to see him up here all the time, you actually see Molly. You may not realize uh, that Molly and Nick have been dating and now are engaged, but uh, grab him on the patio and introduce yourself. And could you do something? I know, and I would say this for, if you hear about people getting engaged in our congregation, would you just lift them up in prayer? And would you lift Nick and Molly as they enter into the season, as they go towards this lifelong covenant, would you just uh, encourage them and lift them up in prayer? And we just wanted to celebrate with you because we're a family. So can we give Nick a, a hand and Molly a hand? So good. I'm gonna pay for that. I'm just telling you, I'm going to pay for that. So, cause, <laughs> but uh, so good to be with the family of God. So good to move from the scattered community to the gathered community and to begin to study God's word. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to the book of Acts. Acts is in the New Testament and follows the gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, which is kind of confusing because uh, Acts is actually a continuation of the book of Luke. They tossed John in there to get all the gospels in, in one area. But uh, then after the book of John, you have the book of Acts and we're gonna be in chapter four. We're gonna begin here in a moment in verse 32. And as Joanna, as Pastor Joanna said, we, we have this, we're working with this idea of a beautiful disruption that when the spirit moves upon God's people, that he not only has a beautiful disruption in our own lives, but that disruption in our lives creates an opportunity for us to be a beautiful disruption in this world, to remind people that God's kingdom has come and that his will is being done on earth as it is in Heaven, And so in Acts chapter four, um, we get one of three summaries that happen about what the early church looked like. And there's some characteristics that are found in all three of these particular, uh, su sum uh, all three of these summaries. Uh, one is that we, we discover that the, the powerful preaching by the Holy Spirit and uh, how people are learning and growing in their understanding of God's teaching and, what, and what's happening. We begin to uh, understand that part of what the Holy Spirit does is he creates an atmosphere of hospitality that all of a sudden that there's space and, and, and these new, this new community, this new thing that God is doing, these individuals are creating space for individuals to come and experience the graciousness of God. And a lot of times that the, the things that are, that the people that are coming into contact with this um, new community where Christ is King and Christ is Lord, that they don't think like these new believers and they don't act like these new believers, but they're interested in what's going on. And so they're asking questions. And we see this when, when Paul goes to Mars Hill and we see this when individuals um, like the Ethiopian uh, eunuch are, are engaged in all of, all of a sudden uh, people who maybe didn't think like Jesus all of a sudden are intrigued about what this Jesus community is doing. 
We hear about the care that is happening in this community and, and the prayer that is happening. And also one of the things that we learn about is the generosity within this community. We begin to learn about how this particular community began to uh, share with one another and those in need. And there was just this outpouring of generosity. And I began to think about this as I was preparing for this particular text. And I thought, man, what's the source of this disruption of generosity? What is actually the source of this disruption of generosity? Because I, I mean, I know that the, the Sunday school answer is, you, you know, you can turn to somebody near you and say it, um, turn to somebody next to you and say the Holy Spirit. Like we could save ourselves 35 minutes right now, right? You could just go home. Because like, like, like I understand that at some level, you know the source of this generosity as it relates to this early church in the book of Acts. But, but I wrestled with it because I've met people and you've met people who have no relationship with God and, and really don't understand Jesus' things at all. And they are incredibly generous people. And I've, I've actually looked it up. I, I've begun to look up kind of who are the most generous people in the United States. And I don't know their relationship with the Lord. I'm not making judgment on individuals, but there definitely were some individuals on that list that I'm like, ah, I'm not sure that they're a Jesus follower. I mean, just based on like lifestyle and maybe some things that they've said, I'm not sure that they're a Jesus follower. And yet they're one of the top 10 most generous people in our country in terms of giving away and, and what they're doing. And so I'm going, all right, hold on a second, God. Like, as I'm reading this, there seems to be something that should be different. And there was definitely something that is different in the early church about what their generosity looked like. So I began to ask myself, what are the things that disrupt our lives and cause generosity if you're not a Jesus follower? And I began thinking, I'm like, and I began to read and I began to listen to some individuals. And I'm like, oh, okay, here's one thing, karma, right? Like if you're not a Jesus follower and you're just kind of like going throughout the, the, this world, like one of the things that people who aren't Jesus followers say that causes them to be generous is this idea of karma. And, and, and so they, they kind of put generosity out into the world so that they can receive something back. They, there's this kind of flow that they, they think about. And I'm like, wow, wow. Lord, I, I think sometimes that that seeps into the church. And I think that sometimes the reason that some of us uh, uh, operate in generosity is because we wanna put stuff out there so that we receive back. And we wouldn't say that out loud, but it's like, all right, Lord, here you go. Okay, <laughs> right? Like, what are you gonna put back into my hand, right? Like, how are you going to bring this back to me? Now, what I'm reminded of as we go through these types of things is that there is always an element of truth, right? So scripture does talk about sowing seed, right? And, and so there's an element of truth in all of these things. But what happens is that it's, good, it's very easy to begin operating in the things of the world and not operating as a citizen of God's kingdom because we're so bombarded by the things of this world. Another thing, that recognition. It doesn't take long um, to realize, and, and I'll be honest, we even, again, there's things that, that we kind of have going on here that I'm like, oh yeah, like, is it all bad? No, but it is easy to make it not about the right things. And so like in a couple of weeks, I'm really excited. My, me and my whole family, we get to do uh, the 6K and raise money for World Vision. We're so excited about that. And I already got my t-shirt. 
right? And it's like, like as someone who loves trophies and loves medals and loves t-shirts, like there's part of me that's like, I wanna wear my t-shirt. I want everybody to know that I give money to water, right? Like you're like, pastor, you struggle with that? Like, yeah, of course I do. Because it's easy to allow those things to seep into our understanding of how we think about generosity. Equality and fairness, it's easy to, to think, hey, the reason we should be generous is because we need equality and fairness and we take God out of the equation and it just becomes about equality and fairness. And again, equality and fairness sounds really good, but when you remove God from the equation and you remove the kingdom from the equation, all of a sudden it becomes something different. Or some people would say, well, society needs to evolve. So we're gonna be generous so that we're a better people today than we were 50 years ago. And so that can be a source of people's generosity or even this one, legacy. I want to leave the world. I wanna leave my family in a better place when I leave this earth. See, here's the thing. None of these things are necessarily evil. None of these things are, are there, it's not that there's not some element of truth to them, but what happens is they become the sole purpose that we do certain things and that we are generous with our energy and we are generous with our giftedness and we are generous, generous with our resources. And it's a departure from why the early church disrupted society with their generosity. In fact, again, just as a reminder, you don't have to be a Jesus follower to be generous. So why and how did this early church become such a beautiful disruption with their generosity? Acts chapter four, starting at verse 32, says this. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that, that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had, and the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing upon them all. Now, here's what I want you to do. If you haven't taken out your phone or your notes or your card, I want you to do that right now. Go ahead, you got 10 seconds. Grab them right now. There's no cards in front of you. Because this is gonna be a little bit more of like, like, like let's like really break down what is being said here because it's really important for us to understand how it's shaping us. Because it says that all the believers, meaning the community that was disrupted by the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's a qualifier here. This is not just the worldly, worldly individuals. This is not the people who are part of the kingdoms of this world. These are individuals who were believers, but the qualifier here is that they were believers in what? They were believers in Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, and they had been filled with the Spirit. And so here's the good news. Maybe if you, um, if you are not a Jesus follower this morning, you're just checking the out, if you're just kind of uh, asking questions about Christianity and you don't necessarily believe in the life, death, teaching, and resurrection of Jesus, and you're not filled with God's spirit yet, you don't have to listen to any of this. Like literally, you can be like, all right, hey, I I'm good. I, I don't need... I but if you are one who believes in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and you have been filled with the Spirit, then our ears should begin to get tuned to what God wants to speak to us today. Amen. I said, amen. amen. There we go. There we go. I know, man, I'm, I'm already stepping on some toes this morning. This is good. This is good. All right. So 
Community is disrupted by Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And what I think we need to recognize is this was not a kumbaya moment. This, I think sometimes when we think about the early church, we're like, oh yeah, they just sat around, they held hands and it was kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. If you don't know that, look it up on Google, it's okay. But th- this is... This is kind of the mindset that we sometimes have when it comes to this idea of all the believers. But again, the lives of these believers were not just somehow miraculously just uh, at peace with one another and they didn't just start responding this way. They believed in Jesus's life. They believed in his death and the forgiveness of his sins. They believed in the resurrection and they believed and had experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in them and it changed everything. And church, that is our heartbeat of this beautiful disruption uh, throughout this entire series. We will never be a beautiful disruption in this world if God hasn't transformed our lives. We will never, we will just simply, there are other people who are generous. There are other people who do really good things. There are other people who are kind. So what makes it different to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? What makes it different to be one who believes in the life, death, teaching and resurrection of Jesus? What makes it different to be filled with his spirit? The scripture says that they were united in heart and mind. I love it when we read scripture and we begin to understand the culture that's behind it because the Hellenistic culture behind it put a great emphasis on this idea of one heartness and friendship. In fact, uh, Aristotle had a quote where he talked about kind of uh, two friends having one heart. And so this was very much ingrained in their society and yet it wasn't um, manifested very well. It was an ideal, but nobody really saw it. And yet when people began looking at this Jesus community who followed after and in the ways of Jesus, all of a sudden they started going, hey, you know that ideal that we talk about, about friends having one heart? They're doing it. How are they doing it? How are they gathering together? How are they living into this idea of one heart? And I think when we look back on that, we're like, okay, this is what we got. We got to have one heart and one mind. So we need to work really hard, really hard, in order to have one heart and one mind. But there's another fascinating thing about this passage. The English word in the, at least the New Living Translation, your translation might have the word soul in it, but in the New Living, you notice that it says they have one heart and one mind. In other translations, it says that they have one heart and one soul. And when we read that soul, that the original Greek that's translated soul is the word breath. The other place where we read about this idea of breath is actually in the beginning of the book of Acts, other places as well. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon these individuals, it's breathe on them. Therefore, what is happening here is not that these individuals are just working really hard to be friends, but they have been breathed on by the Holy Spirit and filled with the Spirit. And there is one Spirit that is filling all of them and bringing oneness to them. They are radically dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit for their oneness, not just their grit, not just their kindness, 
They are living in complete surrender of what God is doing in their lives. The spirit has been breathed on them and they share in common this one spirit that has filled them. And so because of that, they begin to have this oneness about them. It goes on to say this. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. That's tough, right? So the spirit comes upon them and fills them and it disrupts them to the point that they no longer see the world in worldly things or even their giftedness or even their resources or even kind of their own lives as their own, but it's this shared and common way of seeing things. Everything that they have is not what they own themselves, but it is what God has given them. Everything is the Lord's and they are merely a steward of those things. Now, how do we, how, again, it's, it, it uh, was opened up so much to me as I began to get into the original text, because sometimes, again, our English translation um, leaves behind some of the power of this content. The idea of own, so um, in the original language was this idea of nothing they possessed, or sometimes it's translated like this, nothing that they made exist. So think about this for a moment. How easy is it for us to look at our lives and say, I made that exist and I made that exist and I made that exist and that's mine and I bought that and I did that and I did that and I did that and I did that. This was convicting to me, folks. Because when I'm reading this, I'm going, it says nothing that they owned, nothing that they possessed. They saw nothing that they had as something that they made exist, but they saw it as all things that existed because of what God had given them. It wasn't theirs in the first place. They had this radically different idea. And sometimes when we think about generosity, we think about it in terms of, hey, here's what I have. Now I have to determine what I am willing to share with others or give away or to be generous with. And in reality, the early church didn't see things that way. What they saw was all that I have is the Lord's. Lord, tell me how to use it. Tell me how to use it. It says they shared everything in common. In fact, in the original text, again, it uses this word koina for this idea of kind of this common or gathering, but they shared everything in common. And I love that word common because uh, it recognizes that there are things that are needed in the community, but it also realized how they viewed it. They viewed it as common. They viewed their stuff as common. Not sacred, not idols, not things to hold tacitly to, but things to hold loosely in their hand and say, this is common. My giftedness is common. I'm not special because I'm gifted in this area because somebody else is gifted in another area. I'm not special because I have this and somebody else has that. This is all just common stuff to be used for God's glory. And I begin to think about this. I'm like, man, the, the world largely is generous. If you even go back to the most generous people that are in the United States, the world is largely generous based on their extra. 
on what they have that's extra. And so it's based on their income. If you have enough income, then I can be generous. If I don't have enough income, I can't be generous. If I have lots of giftedness, I'll be generous with them. If I don't have a lot of giftedness, nah, maybe I won't be as much generous. If my gift is really high, I'll be generous with it. If it's, not, if it's kind of a medium gift, then I won't be as generous with it. And the scripture's like, no. It's all the Lord's. So how do we live into this reality that everything is the Lord's. Well, this is why they lived that way. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They testified that Jesus is alive, therefore he is king. Therefore, they were not operating like the Roman Empire, Roman Empire was operating. They were not operating like the world was operating. In fact, in the original language, it says that they were testifying so powerful that in the original Greek, it's the, to the greatest extent of that power they were testifying. And it says that God's great blessing was upon them all. Again, to the greatest extent of that blessing. And even that word blessing, again, in the NLT, it translates it blessing. In, um, in the original Greek, it's the word charis. And in that word charis, it's grace. So that to the greatest extent of God's grace was upon the people. See, when we say blessing, I feel like it goes back into that karma thing. Like I'm gonna be generous so that I get blessing back. But when we understand the word as grace, it's I'm gonna be generous. And because of generosity, there's a, there's a grace to the community. There is an un, there is a, uh, unmerited favor to the community. There's a peace that settles upon the community. There's a joy that settles upon the community. There's a oneness that settles upon the community because of what God has done in us. So I want you, again, to just settle for a moment and say, okay, Lord, Begin asking yourself, where is the source of my generosity? Is it because I believe and I testify to the life teaching, death and resurrection of Jesus because, it had, because the spirit has filled me? Or is my source something different? Now listen to what happens. So when we read the book of Acts, we get, theological teaching, like what we just kind of walked through, but then we also get characteristics. And I wanna be care careful not to make the characteristics that we're gonna talk about prescriptive. We'll talk about what that means here in a moment. But here's what it says in verse 34. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was, I love that. For instance, hey, it's like, it's like, hey, hey, this is what it looked like. For instance, let me give you an example. There was this guy, Joseph, the one the, one, the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And he was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. And he sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Like, okay, so you have this, in, get, get this in your mind, that 
that they, you have these individuals that are testified, testifying to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it's like, let me give you an example of what it looked like for them to be this, have this radical generosity, to really be a disruption in this culture. And he goes on to tell a story about someone who sold their land and brought the money from those proceeds to the apostles. And you're sitting there going, okay, this is crazy, right? Like, if you didn't say this is crazy, then I don't know. I said it was crazy. Like I'm reading, I'm going, this doesn't make sense until you understand the culture. It says that there's no needy among them. See, we like to focus on the radicalness of the gift and miss what's actually happening behind the scenes. So here's what's happening behind the scenes. There's no needy in, in, in this society. And this acts of generosity and the sharing of these resources disrupts the social system that was of the day which basically said this, if you give somebody something, they have to give you something back of equal value or you're indebted to them. That's how things worked in this culture. So essentially, any relationship that you had that you couldn't repay somebody of equal generosity, you were kind of their slave. And that's how generosity worked within this culture. It's what solidified classes and created a social structure that was based on socioeconomics. And so you had this breakdown that was happening where things were just concrete and there was no way to, to find yourself free from this indebtedness. Verse 37, they placed it at the apostles' feet. It's a humbling act to come to somebody else and place your gift at their feet. In this culture, you didn't give so that you could place it humbly at somebody's feet. You gave so that you would have honor. And so you have the disruption of this social statuses and you have this disruption of how people understood generosity all happening in this early community. This is radical stuff. All because they believed in the life, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus and were filled with the Spirit. So, go and sell your property. <laughs> like, 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 seriously, I'm reading this and I'm like, okay, Lord, like, what do we do with this? And like I said, I wanna be careful here because it's not prescriptive. It is a description of what was happening with these individuals that were filled with the spirit that believed in the life teaching, death and resurrection of Jesus. But what I will say is this, maybe, I don't know, that's the Holy Spirit like has to lead you in what that radical generosity looks like. But this is what I will say. And I wanna make sure I say how the Lord spoke it to me. Radical displays of generosity that cause people to question the oppressive system and social structures of their day create a beautiful disruption and demand an answer. So what I'm saying is like, we should live generously in such a way that it should demand an answer different than just, oh, it's karma. Oh, it's because they wanna get something back on their taxes. Like, like those aren't bad, like, like that's not a bad thing, but it is not the, the thing. 
The reason that we are generous people is because we, have, because we believe in the life teaching death and resurrection of Jesus and he has filled us with his spirit. And because our lives have been so radically transformed, we no longer see life in this world through the lens of all the other kingdoms of this world. We see it through the lens of Jesus and him as king. Generosity for the early church was an outpouring of what the the beautiful disruption that Jesus had already done in them. They didn't have to conjure it up. They didn't have to look for another source because of what Jesus had done in them. It flowed from generosity of their resources, generosity of their giftedness as they went and they began to share, generosity in terms of proclaiming the gospel and sharing the good news of Jesus. All the things that they did flowed from the fact that they had been filled with God's spirit. They weren't operating underneath the systems of this world. They were operating underneath the authority of the Holy Spirit. Wherever they went, they operated under the authority of the Holy Spirit. So here's something that's interesting in our English translations. I know I'm using this a lot, but it's important for this, for these, uh, for this particular text. We put in chapters and verses. That's something that we do to help with our English translations. And sometimes that causes us to stop. But what's interesting is that in the original text, it usually flows on. Like I said, we even took the book of Acts and, and, and put the book of John as one of the gospels before it, when really the book of Luke flows into the book of Acts. So when you're reading chapter four and you're reading about this idea of the early church and generosity, and you just read about this person, Joseph, or Barnabas, the son of encouragement, who did this radical act of generosity. You're like, awesome, that's cool. And you think, that's amazing. And you're like, that's what I want to do. And sometimes we don't continue reading on into chapter five when chapter five is a really good caution for us. Some of you are already laughing because you know what happens at the beginning of chapter five. There's a story about two individuals named Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter five, verses one through 11. And Ananias and Sapphira sell some property just like Joseph did, right? Just like the son of encouragement did. But Ananias and Sapphira, instead of coming to the apostles and laying their gift at the apostles' feet in its entirety, they decide, they kind of enter into a secret covenant with one another and they hold some of that giftedness back. Some of those resources they hold back to to keep for themselves. Now, when you're reading this, part of you is going, oh no. Like, what does that mean? Like, do I have to just like like empty my bank accounts and bring them all? No, 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 hold on a second. This is not actually focused in on the gift. This story, both of these stories are focused in on the source of the disruption. Is it the Holy Spirit? Where's the heart in all of this? Is it being controlled by the authority of the Holy Spirit or by me? So Ananias brings his gift to the apostles and Peter calls them out. He's meant, you've allowed yourself to be basically controlled by Satan himself. What are you doing? 
You lied not to us. You lied to the Holy Spirit. And then in verse five, I think we get some clarity. Verse five, um, chapter five, verse four, sorry. We get some clarity. It says, the property, this is Peter speaking to Ananias, the property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying us, but to God. So what's the real sin here? What's the issue? To appear generous, to appear generous without God's disruption in our lives, without him being the source of everything. Generosity that would point to us instead of glorifying God. The potential to disrupt the community because somebody wanted honor for themselves rather than creating a community where there was oneness because of what the Spirit was doing. This is why the consequences were so grave. If you haven't read the story, this is what happens. Ananias dies on the spot. Then it gets even more cryptic because when when Sapphira comes in and she's also questioned about it, get this, this is just like cryptic language, right? Um, When she lies about it also, it's said to her the same Um, the same people, I hear the footsteps of the same people who took out your husband's dead body, they will take yours out also. I'm like, whoa, that's intense. And so I began to think about all this and I thought, all right, God, this is like, this is hard text. This is stuff that I'm wrestling with. So God, would you give me something to help us wrestle with this well. And this is what the Lord gave me. The real danger is that we would look like all the other empires of the world and that we would forfeit our witness. That the reason we act the way we do is not for karma. It's not so we get something back. It's not for taxes. It's not for this, it's not for that. It's because we have had an encounter with Jesus Christ. We believe in his life, death, and resurrection, and we have been filled with his spirit. And the reason we are who we are is because of that. The danger is forfeiting that. So when we are generous, whether it's here at New Life or with somebody else, I want you to take a step back and say, hey, God, How do I listen into you? How do I follow your lead and your authority? So that the witness that comes out of our generosity, the witness that comes out of going and doing these things, like going to the school and and, and having these breakfasts, the, 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 the witness that comes out of caring for the law enforcement, the witness that comes out of going into our community and caring for the poor and having a pantry, the witness that comes out of this demands an answer. And the answer is because we are people who believe in the life, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who is the Son of God, and we have been filled with his Spirit. That is why we are a generous church. We're not just a kind church. We're not just a good church. We are a Holy Spirit-led 
church filled with God's spirit. So the reason we do the things that we do is because of what he has done in us. The reason we are a beautiful disruption in our world is because he has been a beautiful disruption in us first. That is who we are. So do me a favor. I know, tough text to preach and teach on this morning. But I want you to close your eyes for a moment. And we've been doing this periodically over the last month or so. I want to have some time of just silent reflection. I'm gonna read some promptings and we're just gonna let the Holy Spirit work in our lives. And the first, first thing that I want you to do is just simply say this, Lord, search my heart and give me ears to hear. I just want you to just take a couple of moments and just say, search my heart, Lord, and give me ears to hear. And then I want you to ask yourself this, what or who is my motivation or my source for generosity? What or who? Is it really the Lord? Or are there some other areas that somehow seep in that I need you to deal with? What or who is my source of generosity? Why do I use my gifts? Is it for my own glory or is it for yours? Why do I give? Why do I put money in the offering plate? Why do I, why do I give to that organization? Why do I do the 6K? Why do I wanna show up at the pantry? Lord, what's my motivation? Is it because you have so filled me that I can't help? I'm just compelled? And then ask yourself this. Is there any area where I need to repent? Guys, is there any area where I need to repent? Is there any area that I need to surrender? Or an area that I need to grow in? Would you just reveal it to us right now, God? And then I want you to ask the Holy Spirit this. What's my next step? Is it to press into you more? Is it to express gratitude? Is it to act with guidance from the Holy Spirit? Maybe it's a mentor. Maybe it's for you and your spouse to share with one another you and a friend group to share with one another what the Spirit's maybe stirring in you right now? What's a very specific next step that you could do when you walk out here this morning? God, I love that when you give us the gift of your scripture, that sometimes it's for exhortation. Sometimes it stirs joy in us. Sometimes it reminds us just of how deeply you love us. But sometimes, God, it's also for correction and to convict us. 
sometimes it's to also affirm that maybe we are walking in alignment with you and, and it can be an encouragement that way. So Father, I thank you not only for the sometimes easier words to hear, but God, I also thank you for sometimes the more difficult words to hear. Because God, I want my life to be fully surrendered to you. And I thank you for the way that you spoke and shaped my heart this week through your word. And I pray that you would bring oneness to our community like you brought oneness to the early church, not because of grit and not because of our own might or power, but because of your spirit that is within us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Another thing that we've been doing as a community in recent days is simply this. I want you to just simply take a, a deep breath and listen in and, and ask a question. So take a breath and ask this question to yourself. Lord, are you done speaking to me today? Are you done speaking to me today? If you, if you feel that in sense that the spirit is done speaking and that's okay, you can go Sabbath well, go eat lunch and share and laugh and go do the things of the day. But if you sense that the Lord is not done with you yet, that something's still stirring, that maybe you're like, hey, I wanna know more about this Jesus person. I, I don't even, he's not even my savior yet. Uh, maybe you wanna know more about what it looks like um, or you're wrestling with a particular area of generosity. We always have a ministry team up here at the front that would love to encourage you, to pray with you, to share with you more about what it looks like to follow Jesus, all right? As you go, may you go to be a people. May we go to be a people. That is a beautiful disruption in our world as we are filled with generosity by God's Spirit. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Grace and peace to you. We'll see you next week.
This is the story of a son of God hanging on a cross for me. But it ends with a bride and groom and a wedding by a glassy sea. Oh, death, where is your sting? Cause I'll be there singing holy, holy.
last time.